are you a thermometer or a thermostat? A thermometer or a thermostat? I think most of us have been in rooms or in vehicles, maybe on a bus, maybe on a plane, uh, where you have felt like it's getting incredibly hot, it's getting stuffy, it's, it's getting uncomfortable. Um, and so you're able to identify with the temperature, so you're able to, in a sense, act as a thermometer, but you really wish that you could be a thermostat where you actually get to change the temperature. Or maybe you've even been uh, here at church on a Sunday, and if you don't choose your seat very wisely, sometimes the air tends to blow on you a little bit stronger than what we would like. And so again, you might be aware that this is a little bit chilly or this is a little bit uncomfortable. And so you're, you're able to make an assessment, but you're not often able to actually make an adjustment. And what I want to get across today is that we actually have the potential through our attitudes to not simply be thermometers, where we're just acknowledging and observing and agreeing with the facts, but that we actually have the potential to be thermostats where we can make a difference, where we can change the environment, change the atmosphere, change the feeling of what's going on uh, in the team that we're on or at the office that we are or in the class that you're at in your sphere of influence. We've been taking a look at our four core values over the last few weeks. Today is our fourth and final installment. We've already looked at how we are committed to loving God, loving people, pursuing excellence, and choosing joy is what we're talking about today. And when I talk about choosing joy, I'm not just talking about being happy, clappy, bouncy, flouncy. I'm talking about actually choosing a life-giving attitude that actually has a life-changing effect on the people around us. Our attitudes make a difference. What's interesting is that our attitudes are contagious. Have you ever found yourself in a, in a conversation where, where, where after a while you realize that you're actually talking as negatively as the people around you um, and you're getting as cynical and as bitter about the government or politics or just, you know, you're feeding the frustration over COVID and, and everything that's going on. Uh, or maybe you've been around people where you have, 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 you know, there'd be one or two individuals in this particular group that are just so sincerely positive, optimistic, or even faithful, and you find it, it kind of having a, <clears throat> a bit of an effect on the group. Our attitudes are <laughs> contagious. John Maxwell, leadership guru, says that good attitudes on a team do not guarantee its success, but bad attitudes guarantee its ruin. Our attitudes really, really, really do matter. Some of you might have heard this statement before, and maybe you think it's a cliche, but it's actually quite literally true when it comes to aircraft. This statement that your attitude determines your altitude. Your attitude determines your altitude. There is actually an indicator on the panel in the cockpit of an, of an aircraft where, where you literally have the ability to uh, discern the attitude of the plane. If the attitude is at the right angle, you are flying up. If the attitude of the plane is reading that it is pointing down, well then the plane is pointing down. And so the airplane will literally rise and fall to the level of its attitude. And again, that might sound like a trite statement, but so many of our lives are being affected right now simply by the direction of our attitudes. And I'm not saying that you don't have good reason to have challenges, but I want to, I want to encourage you that we have more agency 
than what we sometimes realize. We have more ability, more potential to actually change our attitude in such a way that it can change the world around us. And I believe that God wants us to choose joy. Romans chapter 14, verse 17 and 18 says the following, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of what we eat or drink. In other words, it's not, it's not, just, it's not just do's and don'ts. It's not just practical uh, boxes that we tick, but of living a life of goodness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. That is the attitude that we ought to have. If you serve Christ with this attitude, you'll please both God and others will approve of you too. If you serve God with this attitude, you'll please both God and others will approve of you too. It is living a life of goodness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. These are attitudes, and our attitudes make a difference. In fact, I believe that sometimes the way we serve God is through our attitude. The way that we love people is through our attitude. And excellence is a huge attitude uh, characteristic. Chris Hodges once said that people don't remember our words. They remember how we made them feel. People don't remember our words. They remember how we made them feel. And I think the way that we make people feel has a lot to do with our attitudes. That's why as a church, so again, this is both individual, as an individual Christian, wherever you are, you ought to be a catalyst, you ought to be a thermostat, but also as a church or as a life group or as a serving team. This is why we are committed to this value of choosing joy because people will seldom remember what you've said, but they are going to remember how you made them feel, whether or not you actually seemed like you wanted to be there, whether or not you seemed to actually genuinely care. People don't remember our words, they remember how we made them feel. So I want to look at just a, a couple of quick characteristics of what choosing joy requires of us in our, in our attitude. And the first uh, idea here is simply faith. Maybe not so simple. <laughs> in fact, I think it can often be quite a challenge for us to have faith. Choosing joy starts with faith. Having a good attitude does not mean that we deny reality. It's just that we rather direct our faith. We don't deny reality, so we, we acknowledge the facts. I think sometimes Christians misunderstand faith. Faith isn't denying reality. It's just that we are focusing our energy on our faith. We're directing our faith. We are remembering what God has promised us and what He is able to do. And you've probably heard that it doesn't take a genius. It doesn't take a leader to identify a problem. Most people can identify problems. But I do think it takes a significant person to be committed with the right attitude and with a faithful attitude to being, to being uh, committed to finding a solution, a commitment to find a way to win, where again, we don't deny reality, but where we look at what God says in His Word and, and where we are open to what God wants us to do about it, it takes faith. And if you're not familiar with the Old Testament, there's a story that I wish I had more time to unpack. But uh, you might have heard of, of, of names like Joshua and Caleb. They are two uh, leaders. They were each a leader of an Israelite tribe at the time. There were 12 tribes and 12 leaders. So one leader from each of the 12 tribes were chosen to go and to um, 
scout out the land of their enemy that God had actually promised to give them as their possession, as their promised land. So if you've ever heard the phrase promised land, that's where this comes from. And so maybe you've heard of the 12 spies. Uh, the, long, the, the, the long story short version is that the 12 uh, spies come back after 40 days and they've scouted out the land and they've seen that it is indeed incredible. In fact, in fact just some of the, the produce that they were able to uh, check out, um, for example, was that a cluster of grapes, when they cut it off, it had to be hung on a pole between two men to carry one cluster of grapes. It, they, 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 metaphorically, they spoke about the land flowing with milk and honey. It was a beautiful flourishing, fruitful, promised land. So you'd think that they'd be excited. And, and even more so, you'd think that they'd be encouraged that God had promised it to them. But 10 of the 12 spies come back. And even though they acknowledge the good things about the land, they place more emphasis on the fact that the current inhabitants of the land are strong, that they live in fortified cities, and that in some cases, they are even descendants of giants. And so they get the whole, pretty much the whole nation of Israel to actually turn against Moses and Aaron, who were the leaders of this you know, moving party at the time. A couple of million Israelites that are wandering through the wilderness. Remember, they, they were rescued out of Egypt. They turn on Moses and Aaron. In fact, they, they suggest, at one point, they even talk about stoning them and, and, and electing another leader who will take them back to Egypt, to where they were in slavery. It's amazing how sometimes our fear of the future can cause us to long for the past, even though the past was torture, the past was terrible. And, and so when we don't have the right attitude, when we don't have faith, it's amazing how we can embellish and, and skew our view of, of what has been as opposed to looking through eyes of faith, believing what God can do. Only two men, literally only two men stood up, in fact, at the risk to their lives and said, like, brothers, sisters, this is worth fighting for. God has said it. They weren't focused so much on the giants as what they were focused on their God. They weren't focused so much on the problems, even though they were real. They weren't denying them. They knew that they were real. They were focused on God's promise. Choosing joy, guarding our hearts, having the right attitude begins with faith. And if you have time, it'd be well worth reading in Numbers chapter 13 and 14 and 15. It's an interesting, gripping story. Just, just one verse. Uh, again, what it says about Caleb. In Numbers 14 verse 24, it says that, that my servant Caleb, this is God speaking, has a different attitude than the others have. Caleb had a different attitude. He has remained loyal to me, so I will bring him into the land he has explored. His descendants will possess their full share of the land. Caleb had a different attitude. Christians should have a different attitude. Our levels of faith should not be the same as someone that does not enjoy a relationship with God, that doesn't believe that God is able, that God is all-powerful. Christians should have a, a level of peace, a level of joy, a level of confidence that if we're doing what we can and God's doing what He can, that it's going to be okay somehow in the end. And what is really scary to me is that quite literally an entire generation, probably a couple of million people, lost out on possessing and enjoying God's promise 
because they lacked faith. They believed the ten instead of the two because they're the majority, right? So be very careful that you don't think, well, it must be right if the majority are going for this particular idea. No, no. In this case, they were in the minority. And because the majority uh, of the nation followed and trusted and believed in the majority of the spies, an entire generation of Israelites were wiped out in the wilderness eventually. And so they wandered around for another 40 years, only uh, men and women that were 19 and younger at the time that we're talking about here were able to eventually go into the promised land. When we lack faith, when we don't guard our hearts, when we don't have the right attitude, in some cases, this might sound dramatic to you, I think that we can literally rob a generation. Parents, if, you, if you're a parent and you have children, your kid's future is very likely closely linked to your attitude. So choosing joy requires faith. Number two, choosing joy requires humility. To have an attitude of humility. In Philippians 2 verse 5, it says that you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Now if you go on to read the rest of that portion in Philippians chapter 2, it spells out in detail the incredible humility of Jesus, where he was willing to serve and willing to sacrifice. I believe that choosing joy requires humility. A proud person, they may have moments of happiness, but there's no way that they have a true depth uh, of joy in their lives. A proud, stingy, arrogant person, it's, they are inconsistent. They're not able to experience genuine, unconditional joy at the deepest level. When we are humble, we're okay with not having to be right or not being able to prove ourselves. When you're humble, you don't have to get the credit. This is hard for many of us, but when you're humble, you don't have to be understood. You can try, but you're somehow able to, like our humility is based on our identity in God, and we are secure in Him. And so we can try and, and reconcile and build relationships, but if people... If, if we've done what you can and people still don't understand you and think the worst, you're okay because you're humble. When you're humble, you don't have to be the smartest person in the room. In fact, I think you're in danger if you're often the smartest person in the room. When you're humble, you don't have to be the center of attention. Humility cares about others. It cares about the goal. It cares about the bigger picture. You've maybe heard us say this before and we've got this statement up in our team room for our volunteers, our dream teamers, which says that what I am a part of is bigger than the part I play. See, when we're humble, we realize that what we are a part of is bigger than the part I play. So it's never about my own ego. It's never about me getting airtime. It's never about me getting the credit. No, no, we're, we're here to, to serve one another. We're here to serve God. We're here to, to ultimately make a difference. Humility is willing to work through challenges, so when there are challenges, we don't just ignore them. We work through them. We work through conflict in a healthy way. Humility celebrates others' wins. We don't get jealous and insecure when other people succeed. Think about that attitude. We celebrate one another. In fact, I think it's in Romans 12 where it says that we celebrate with those who celebrate and we mourn with those who mourn because we care. We have an attitude that is godly. Humility will help others to 
succeed. So choosing joy requires faith. Choosing joy requires humility. And lastly, choosing joy requires perseverance. It requires perseverance. Again, if you've been around for a while, you've heard us quote Chris Hodges when he says that choices lead, feelings follow. Choices lead, feelings follow. There are going to be many times in your life where, where you're not going to feel joyful, so where you're not going to feel happy and bubbly and gushy. That's when we choose to stay committed to whatever it is that we know are already established values in our lives, established goals, established commitments, the people that we are committed to and engaged to. Choices lead and feelings follow. We have to be willing to persevere. You will not experience, you will not have the ability to choose joy if we cannot fundamentally persevere. I don't have time to unpack the story of, of Paul the Apostle, but, but most of the New Testament is written by this early church leader. And if you know anything about his story, he experienced incredible amounts of uh, suffering, and opposition. He was often imprisoned. He was shipwrecked more than once. He was, he was beaten, left for dead. He went hungry. He went cold. At other times, he was well-fed, and he was respected. This guy went through an incredible amount in his life as he was pursuing God's purposes, and I can't help but look at Paul and say that he wasn't in denial. Like, he didn't need a good psychologist. He wasn't, and I'm, I'm all for psychologists, by the way. I'm just saying he wasn't, he wasn't in denial. He wasn't putting his head in the sand. I just think that somehow he kept perspective. In the prison where he's singing at midnight, he's bleeding and, and probably very uncomfortable and cold even, him and Silas are singing in the middle of the night. Like, he's not in denial. I just think he's kept perspective. We need to persevere. John Maxwell says that failure isn't failure if you do better the next time. Some of us allow ourselves to get way too discouraged when we fail, when we fall, when we make mistakes. And I think that when we allow that discouragement to take root, I think it's only the enemy that is ultimately pleased. God doesn't want us to stay there. God wants us to learn from it, and He wants us to try again. He wants us to persevere. John Maxwell goes on to say that the difference between average people and achieving people is simply their perception of and response to failure. Successful people don't not fail. They just respond to failure differently to average achieving people. I believe that if we are committed to persevering, if we are going to choose joy, if we're going to guard our hearts, if we're going to watch our attitude, we're going to, we're going to find a way to win. Choosing joy requires faith, it requires humility, and it requires perseverance. Now, these are, these are obviously just large umbrella ideas, but the reality is that we have also come out of a, or are still, in the, some of us, in the middle of a very, very challenging season. And, and whether it's your business, whether it's your family, whether you're still grieving the loss of loved ones, which, is, which has been devastating for some of you during the season. It might sound patronizing and trite for me to talk about choosing joy. And, and you may say, okay, well, that's great. Yeah, I need faith, sure. And I, I need to be humble, and I, I need to persevere. Okay, but how? I want to just offer you a few very simple suggestions. And again, I don't know, I can't unpack each of these. In, you know, the whole books are written about, about these approaches, but I believe that there are a couple of very basic disciplines that will help 
our hearts, that will help us in choosing joy, that will help us in our faith, that will help us in our humility, and that will help us in our perseverance, because whatever we feed grows, and whatever we starve dies. Whatever I feed grows. So whatever attitude I feed is going to grow. Whatever I, whatever I starve is going to die. So a couple of disciplines that I believe will help our hearts. Number one is just simply who do you give influence to? Who do you give influence to? It's amazing this idea that if you show me your friends, I'll show you your future. It's amazing to think that that the people who we spend a lot of time with and who we give... Now, now you can spend time with people, but, but, but when you allow those people to have influence over your life, you want to be very, very careful that they are the kind of people that you want to be influencing you, that they are the kind of people that are heading in the direction that you're wanting to head in. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 33 says, Don't be fooled by those who say such things, for bad company corrupts good character. Bad company doesn't corrupt bad character. Good company corrupts. Bad company corrupts good character. Bad company corrupts good character. You can be a good person. You can have the best intentions in the world, but if you're going to keep hanging out with people that have a completely different compass to you, that have a completely different worldview, that, that see things just radically differently, they're going to advise you a certain way. They're going to influence you a certain way. I want to encourage you to check your conversations. Check the conversations that you are allowing to get into your heart, to get into your mind, to get into your spirit. So who do you give influence to? Number two, what do you feed your mind? What do you feed your mind? Check what you watch, what you read, and what you listen to. Ask yourself regularly, is this feeding joy? Is this feeding peace? Is this giving me correct perspective? Now, there's a time and a place for us to be informed. There's a time and a place for us to, to be aware of what's going on in the world around us and, and in our community and even in our friends' lives. But, but let's not allow that to become a, an, an, an overarching uh, blanket approach to just opening ourselves up to anything. We need to guard our minds. What do you feed your mind? Philippians 4 verse 8 says, And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing, fix your thoughts. So, like, be intentional and don't just drift towards positive things. No, no, fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. If we're going to allow junk in, junk is going to come up. So let's be careful about what it is that we're feeding our minds on. I, I listened to an incredible interview a little while ago. Uh, Carrie Newhoff, a leadership, I think genius actually, was interviewing um, another pastor and author by the name of John Tyson, runs an incredible church in New York City. And there was so much in that interview that, that I thought was outstanding, but he, but he made reference to, to something that he, ref, uh, I think, credited to Neil Postman, I think, but, we, but this idea of having liars in our lives, L-I-A-R, liar, liars in our lives. And it stands for low information to action ratio. Low information to action ratio. 
He goes on to say, this is John Tyson, that we know everything about that, that which we can do nothing about and almost nothing about that which we can do everything about. We know everything about that which we can do nothing about and almost nothing about that which we can do everything about. He was saying that, that we, we, for the first time in most of our lives, heard about a city called Wuhan. We can, we can know all the stats about COVID pretty much in any country in the world. In South Africa, you go to News 24, you can break it down you know, from the country to the province to the city to, to, to the areas. We, there's a whole bunch of stuff that we can know about. And again, some of that's important, but, but there's virtually nothing that we can do about many of these things. I can tell you all about the American election. I can tell you about Brexit. I can tell you about what's going on in New Zealand and, and, the, and the prime minister that was just re-elected. I can tell you that Australia have lost count of how many prime ministers they've had in the last few years. I can tell you a little bit about politics in Sweden and Austria. There's nothing I can do about that stuff. <laughs> like, there is nothing that I can do about it. Now, now, there's nothing wrong with being appropriately informed, but I've got to be careful that I don't, that I don't feed my mind on a low information to action ratio. Let me put energy into areas where I have agency. Let me put energy into areas where I have agency, where I can actually do something about it. We can know what's going on around the world and not know our neighbor's name. We can know what's going on in, in, in the gossip circles of, of some, of some uh, you know, company somewhere else in the world that we have nothing to do with or, or in the corridors of, of parliament and in the back channels you know, of, of some of the political parties and yet not know how someone who sits across the room from us in our office or in our classroom not know that they are suffering, that they are struggling, that they've lost somebody. Let's find opportunities to put our energy to areas where we actually have agency. Number three is simply to actually look at how you replenish. How do you replenish? Proverbs 4 verse 23 says, Guard your heart above all else for it determines the course of your life. Again, whatever you feed grows, whatever you starve dies. Proverbs 4 verse 23 is telling us to guard our hearts, guard your emotions, guard, I mean, your heart in this context is referring to kind of like your soul, it's, your, it's the core of who you are. And if we starve being appropriately replenished, God has created us with limits, God has created us to need sleep, to need time with others, to need to, need to rest at least one day a week, to not work, to not try and work 24 hours a day or 18 hours a day or probably not to work consistently 16 hours a day. God has created us not just to be machines. He's created us as human beings where, where we can actually replenish, where we can, you're allowed to have moments of fun. You're allowed to exercise and look after your body. You're allowed with, again, we don't want to make an idol of any of these things, but you're allowed to have a hobby. You're allowed to enjoy reading. You're allowed to, Find a healthy rhythm in your life based on the season that you're in. Spiritually, guys, we cannot expect to, to be strong in our hearts, to be strong in choosing joy, to be strong in having the right attitude if we're not replenishing ourselves in God's presence through worship, through prayer, where we slow down and just connect and talk to God and be honest with God, where we see our emotions as stepping stones, not stumbling blocks, where where we're secure enough to be quiet and just to give God a chance to maybe say something to us, to direct our, our thoughts. Reading the Bible as a daily 
habit. I encouraged us in part one of the series, in loving God, to commit to 15 focused minutes a day with God. I think it'd be great to have a lot more than that, but to start off with 15 focused minutes a day with God. I told you that each week we're trying to ask a question and encourage you towards a practice. So in closing, I want to simply ask you this question or get you to ask yourself this question, even if it's literally just the next seven days. Okay? What were my joy levels like today? What were my joy levels like today? I'm not just saying, whether, uh, again, don't, don't filter that through, was I happy? No, no, joy is deeper than happy. It's, there's a peace, there's a contentment. Like, you're okay, even if you had a tough day. You may have had a, just a, a terrible day, but you can, still, you can still get to the end of the day and say, yeah, I think I was okay. My peace levels are okay, my joy levels are okay, or my joy levels were rotten. God, I allowed, I allowed the, the, the little bit of joy I had to leak out of me by 6.30 this morning. Just take stock. Don't be afraid of the truth. Remember, you're the only one that's surprised when you're honest with God. So the question is, what were my joy levels like today? And then the practice. Again, it's so simple. I almost feel embarrassed even recommending this. But to literally spend one minute. So to spend 60 seconds a day. Just for the next seven days. If you're willing to do it longer, I think it'll change your life. But can you maybe just be willing to commit to this practice for the next seven days to spend 60 seconds reflecting on the last two verses of Psalm 139. Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24. But, but again, not to read it, to take 60 seconds, or maybe you're, maybe you're even willing to give it a, a good whole two minutes, to reflect on Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24. God, search me and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Allow God to be honest with you. You be honest with God. You'll be amazed at what that does for your joy levels, for your attitude. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. What an incredible practice to regularly, just, just to slow down and say, God, search me and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. What is it that's stressing me out and distracting me? Right now, point out anything in me that offends you that you think I can cope with and lead me on the path of everlasting life because our tagline throughout this series has simply been to ask the question, am I living in a way today that will help me to thrive tomorrow? Let me pray for us. Father, thank you so much that it is your plan, I believe, to strengthen us and enthuse us with life. You are life-giving. We can't come to you and not find life. God, I don't think we can come to you regularly and consistently and not experience joy. So please, would you help us to choose joy? Would you help us to guard our hearts, help us to choose our attitudes, help us to, to strengthen our faith and humility and perseverance, and help us to take a look at who we're giving influence to in our lives, what we're focusing our minds on, and how we are replenishing. Help us to be honest with you. Help us to be secure with you. Help us not to give up when we fail. Help us to keep getting back up, to learn, to adjust, and to keep pushing forward towards your plan. God, you have an incredible destiny, an incredible plan for every person that is tuning in or listening to this message right now. And I pray that you would encourage them in Jesus' name. God, help us as a church to be committed to loving you, to loving people, 
to pursuing excellence and to choosing joy. Not only on a Sunday and not only with other Christians, not only at a life group or on a serving team or in church, but God, wherever we are, God, wherever we are today, wherever we're going to be tomorrow, whoever we interact with, God, would you use us to be life-giving uh, agents of your incredible love and hope and peace and power. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I want to encourage you just before we close off that if you're interested in making a decision to begin a relationship with God today, then to simply click on the connect with us button. We'd love to send you some information and that already might answer some questions, but if you have any questions, just mail us at milnerton at viewchurch.co.za. We would love to serve you in whatever way we can. God bless you. Have a great week and don't miss out on our brand new series starting next Sunday.